I'm really excited for this morning. We said it on Friday. We were, if you weren't here on Friday morning, we had an amazing time on Friday morning, really full up. And, and again, to see you this morning is amazing. But it's a weekend to remember. This weekend is not more holy, not more anything than any other weekend. So I know it was Good Friday and Holy Week, and we put all those names. Those aren't for God. Every week is Holy Week. Every Friday is Holy Friday. Every Sunday is God's. Every Sunday, every day is God's. But we need to remember. We need to remember. I've got a picture in my lounge of my wedding day with my wife, and I can tell you every detail of that dress, because every time I walk past that picture, I remember. But we forget. We forget things. You know that? We like sieve. Stuff comes in and it goes out. Because we, we call to sow, so it's supposed to just go. But, but we forget. That's why it's so important that at a wedding, the people there are witnesses. They're not just there to eat the food, have the party, and go home. They are the witnesses who ongoingly remind the bride and the groom of the vows that they made on that day. But we need to remember as the church. And so I believe we're given weekends like this just to remember that there would be a somberness, there would be a contemplation moment, there would be moments of sitting back and just remembering. As we remember the words, the truth, the life that was given, the life that was poured in, when we were dead, when we were lifeless, He poured His life into us, that we'd remember. And it's good. And this morning, just a couple of things. If you're a visitor this morning, won't you wave? I know we should have done this earlier, and, and we'd love to welcome you and I just got too excited and I got in to remember it. But I did remember you. I was just testing. But we've got some guys who'd love to give you a form. We'd love to give you some cappuccinos afterwards. Say hello. So why don't you put up your hands and just wave to me quickly. Wonderful to have you. Really amazing to have you. There's some more over here. Really wonderful to have you with us this morning. And there's at the back as well, which is really cool. Hello. Wonderful to have you. We see you. Saubona. That's a preach I did a while ago. Sorry, I know it's... I know they don't say here, but I come from Durban. We say that in Durban. But, um, and, and just to say also, there's no evening service tonight. Um, with the service on Friday, we decided to close the evening service down for this morning. So if you want to come in the morning, if, you're, if you know your mates come in the evening, they're the ones who aren't here this morning, just drop them an SMS. Otherwise, they'll be doing church on their own tonight, unfortunately. Wonderful. I would like to preach this morning and speak into... The issue of our confidence in Christ. Our confidence in Christ. I'd like to speak from a scripture that I believe speaks of the victory that today is all about. That today is a remembrance of victory. That victory was won on that cross. Friday wasn't a sinking day. Friday was just, it, it, it was, the victory was won on the cross. And for three days, the enemy danced around and they had their parties and they reveled and they raved and they jawled and they did whatever they do down there and all the demons were running around Satan and they had the biggest, fattest jaw because they thought it was done but they didn't know the victory had already been won and Jesus just came back to claim his prize three days later. And they thought, by this scripture, Pilate answered, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. The enemy tried to make that tomb secure, watertight. Nothing could get out, nothing could get in, because he thought it was done. He thought it was finished. But when Jesus said it was finished, he was talking to the enemy. He was talking to his plans, his scenarios, and that word finished means completely complete. 
It's not like a friend of mine who had three kids and decided, it, I am finished. And now he's got twins coming. <laughs> it's not the same thing. That wasn't completely complete. We had another family at Glenridge. They had two kids at a late age and then decided to have another one. They got identical triplets. They had five kids under the age of four and a half in a three-bedroom flat. And um, that's not what completely complete means. When Jesus said it is finished, it was completely done. And I want to speak to that today, that that thing is so deep down inside of us that we don't live with a lack of confidence in what Jesus did. You see, when believers walk around and we lack confidence, what we are saying is we lack confidence in Christ because we are in Him and He is in us. You know that? See, the issue about Easter weekend is we preach Friday and we say, well, Sunday's coming and we point to Sunday. I want to point you to Monday today. I want to tell you that Sunday has come because Sunday is the moment. We get in the presence. We get, we get full of joy, the victory. We're still in the victory moment. You see how quickly victory gets lost. You see these guys make their man of the match speech. And they're at the top of the world. And the next week they get clubbed by 50 points and they're about to get dropped. The emotion of victory only lasts for so long. The truth of victory is established forever. And I want to speak to that today. That when all this chaos was going on and, and the challenge of Easter is that church is full up. I was amazed. There was a church down the road from us at Durban. And um, they were not that full on a Sunday. But come Sunday, there were crowds outside. Crowds. Streets were full. There was pandemonium. The police had to come in. And the church is filled up. And that's amazing. And if you're here and you're an Easter Sunday churchgoer, I want to say it's wonderful to have you. But there's a challenge there because like churches fill up, our hearts fill up. And we come to get our top up of Jesus, our, our patch up of heaven. We get our emotions up. We can sign the next census Christian because we went to church at Easter. And that is the challenge of Jesus. It's the challenge of the cross. It's the challenge that he rose and died and it's established. And it's a powerful, powerful truth that changes everything doesn't just challenge how we spend one weekend of the year. It changes everything. And this morning, I'd like to speak to Christians on one hand, because there's a response. There's a response to this truth. There's a response that our emotions, we weren't hopeless on, Friday, on Thursday, building hope on, on Friday, getting full of hope on Sunday, and Monday we're hopeless. something wrong with that picture. I don't see inconsistency in Christ. I don't see any inconsistency in Christ. And because we are Christians, because we are those that He dwells inside and we dwell in Him, and this incredible transaction has taken place, I believe He calls us to be more and more like Him, and He calls us to be established in Him, in His truth. And the consistency of Christ would come in. That we would walk with the confidence you walk in today as we sang those anthems and we declared the truth that Jesus is alive and risen. That we would walk with the same confidence tomorrow morning. I'm not talking about a natural confidence. The confidence of, a, of some CEO walking into a business. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deep down assurance. That I know that I know that deep down inside doesn't matter what comes, doesn't matter what happens, deep down inside of me. My Jesus lives. He reigns in glory and in splendor. Doesn't matter what happens. I'm not angry this morning. 
Some of you are looking like, Mark had a bad morning. He didn't get his Cocoa Pops. I'm absolutely not angry this morning. But, but you know what the challenge of this job is? Sometimes. Is I get to hear things that people don't hear. And most of my experience is not just I'm talking about our history. But I get to hear about the chaos, the brokenness, the hopelessness, the stories on the other side of a table. And the next morning I go on Facebook and it's a totally different story from the same person. And I've got to try link the person. But no one else knows. And we get so used to living with these faces and facades within the church. And I believe the moments like this, moments of remembrance, call us to moments of reality. Where the masks come off the church. Where the, 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 where this church, the world struggles to tie up our lifestyle and our statements and our statuses. I enjoy Facebook, don't get me wrong. I'm just calling for us, the person on Facebook, to be the same person in life. It's a big thing for me. Because I see it so, so blaringly in the church and we th- somehow think the world doesn't see it. This victory on the cross calls us to higher ground. It doesn't leave us where we are. It doesn't say, church, carry on in your ways, carry on in duplicity, carry on deceiving, carry on speaking different. It calls us to higher ground. It calls us to the top of the hill where my Christ died and established a truth into eternity that had changed my position forever. It's a day of victory calling us for victory tomorrow, calling us to victorious living. Is that all right? Is that too strong? I would like to read a scripture this morning and I'd like to open up with that, that not our hearts would be filled, that our spirits would be filled, that churches would be filled. All these things are amazing, but that God would establish in us a victory culture. Not victory we won. The problem is that we take victory and we assume victory means winning. You know that victory and winning aren't always the same thing. Sometimes I've seen more victory for the kingdom when people have lost. I've walked with people who've lost children. And I've seen the victory of the kingdom in their lives. As they tell their story of their faithful God. As they speak of the moment of tragic loss, but the incredible faithfulness of the king who rose again for them. I sit with people who've lost everything. And where before their trust was in a bank account called Standard Bank or First National Bank or Absa Bank, their trust today lies in Jesus. And they say, whatever comes, the victory is in Christ. Victory can look different to winning in our lenses. Can we turn to Romans 8, please? And this is an unbelievable scripture. This is the one we get excited about. It is the end of an incredible couple of chapters. The first eight chapters of Romans are unbelievably amazing. One dude preached them for eight years. I'm not going to do that, guys. Stay calm. You can see the worried looks already. We're not going to do that. He was a far better preacher than me. But there is so much truth and life in everything Paul is pouring out. It is just this pouring. And this section we're going to read today from verse 28 is the summation. It is the highlight. It is the climax of all these truths. 
And this incredible conclusion comes together as we see God dealing with this eternal plan of salvation and the truths of grace and life and freedom. Can we read from verse 28 of chapter 8? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He glorified. What? Then shall we say in response to these things, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is this incredible statement of confidence, of conviction, of knowing deep down inside that nothing can separate us, nothing can tear us away. I want that inside of me. You know, I'm not saying they're not going to be the moments in the valleys and they're not going to be the moments. I'm not saying that. The Bible says we'll go through something. We'll go through the valley moments. We'll go through the mountaintop moments and God will bring the valleys up and bring the mountains down to bring His glory. He's going to take us through those moments. But He's always having His glory. What I'm saying He is calling us to is a deep down knowledge and confidence that cannot be shaken or stirred. And two key things come out of this whole scripture for me. There is no condemnation. It starts, chapter 8 says, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And it ends with the same statement, there is no condemnation. Yo, but Mark, that's too good. Yes, it's called grace. I don't know how to explain it to you. It's taken me 20 years to get I pray it takes you two minutes, one touch from God. It took me a long time to wrestle this thing. As the law-abiding legalist inside of me that tried to do things right, kept on trying to do things right, until I had to realize it had absolutely nothing to do with me. And because there is no condemnation, there is absolutely no separation. Sitting with a man who's not in this community and, 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 and he's speaking to me about a decision he made seven years ago that brought on seven years of famine, and I'm going, no, that is an old covenant story with an old covenant truth that no longer is established in this New Testament, in this new day, that Jesus died for me. Jesus declared the day of favor over my life. And because there is no condemnation, there is no separation, and the only reason there is separation is when I draw back, not him. My father never draws back. He never steps back. 
Sir, ma'am, I don't know what you've done. I promise you, the truth is God has never taken a step back. Sin gets in the way. Things get in the way. Lies get in the way. And the enemy begins to preach because he's a preacher too. He gets in the way and says, there's a separation. There's no separation. God is near to you. Speak to him. Engage him. And the mood of this passage is incredibly confident. And it's incredibly God-centered. And we see all these things that are dreaded. We see that, that Christians, the consequences of sin, accusation, condemnation, separation, and these judgments of sin are all bound up and dealt with at the cross. All of them. That's why if we leave it all for this weekend, if we only remember it this weekend, we're challenged. Because Monday comes and Tuesday comes. And by Wednesday, we can't remember the song that Warwick sang. We can't remember the saxophone playing triumphant notes over us. It really was nice, Lisa, where she with the kids. It was very cool to have the sax this morning. We forget. And this is the truth that is established. This is the thing that gives me confidence. Maybe you say, I've always struggled with confidence, Mark. I'm not talking about the ability to stand up and speak to thousands. I'm talking when your storm comes, when your challenge comes, which will look different to my challenge. When your day of challenge comes, when your valley comes, what will rise up is a confidence in the knowledge of who God is, in the all-sufficiency of His sacrifice that we cannot add to and we cannot take away from. And no man not even the enemy can take away from that day and that sacrifice that the cross of Jesus is the basis for our deliverance. The cross of Jesus is the basis for your confidence. And so we're going to look and, and Paul through the scripture that is incredibly triumphant. It's like an anthem. He asks six questions. I'm just going to ask you those six questions today. Simple preach. And the first one he says is this, what then? shall we say in response to these things? He speak, he's spoken about all these things. He's spoken about the, 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 the sinfulness of man, the salvation of God, the hope. And then he speaks about, well, in all things, God will work for the good of those who love him. It's all these things wrapped up into one. He says, well, what do we say? Why does he ask that? Because there's got to be a response. The revelation of heaven, the revelation from heaven demands a response from man. Worship is a revelatory response. I cannot call people, do worship like this, lift your hands, now jump up and down, now you are free. It's the biggest lie we've painted. Worship comes from deep inside. It comes from a desire, a knowledge of the all-sufficiency of what Jesus did on that cross that no man can undo. And I respond to him. Because worship, de revelation demands a response. And Paul is saying in all these truths, in the fact that doesn't matter what comes your way, God will turn it all for the good. Yeah, but God, I lost my child. I can't explain that, but God knows. God knows. All I'm saying to you is that my Bible says, to this Sunday, to this moment, to one engagement of the grace of God, there's got to be a response. And this is where Christianity is personal. You cannot rely on the response of a community. The momentum in a community. 
the momentum of a men's camp, the momentum of moments. You have to rely, this is my response to you, Jesus. I want to call you to that. So that's one question you ask. What then shall we say? Maybe you can't say anything. That's a response too. I saw your beautiful daughter walk down the aisle to her husband and he couldn't say a whole lot. He just got that ugly cry thing going. <laughs> because sometimes you can't say anything. That's a response too. Question two. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? He is not asking an iffy little question. If God. It is, if God is for us, He is making a statement. He is this warrior called out of God to proclaim and declare the good news of the living God. He says, if God is for us, He is putting us and putting forward a statement. And he's making this incredibly powerful statement with God on our side. Well, who can be against us? Seriously. I want to say sometimes I, I, I see too many people still wrestling with the victory for their lives. Just got to be honest. That rests in a lack of trust of the sufficiency of what Christ did on that cross. It rests there. Yo, but Mark, you don't know what you did. I did yesterday. I don't know what you did yesterday. But my Bible says, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Oh, preacher, you're on a slippery slope here. No, I believe in the all-sufficiency of the cross. I believe in the all-sufficiency when Christ got lashed and the blood, he got beaten like an animal being slaughtered. And Isaiah tells us he could not even recognize a human image. That there wasn't one bit of restraint as the father said, take your wrath out on him because I want that mess called the world. That silly blue planet with people walking around, putting masks all over themselves. That blood, that sacrifice is completely sufficient. So who can stand? None can stand. And, and, and it becomes a kind of, we take this and we become this mantra of, we're going to be a prosperity church. We're going to go for it and we prosper. This gospel makes us prosper. So who can stand? And it becomes a mantra that we sing out, a kind of magic thing that if we say God's going to do it, I'm not talking about what we perceive as good. I'm telling you, God has a higher perspective. God's per, it is God's prerogative to define what is good for my life. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> See, we live where we park. There is a steep little driveway into a road where cars come flying. And my three-year-old boy is full of energy. You've seen it. He doesn't know what waits for him at the end of that driveway as he gets excited and runs down. And I know what is good for him. And he doesn't think it's good. And sometimes we act like three-year-old children with God, but it's not good. And we throw the tantrums. Ah! Say, God, you don't know what is good for me. He's God. Trust Him. And I'm preaching to myself here. So I do the same thing all the time. 
and the certainty that God is for us. See, if God is for us, you know what amazing thing when someone is for you? I had a mate, he's six foot six, he played lock for the All Blacks, and we grew up together. And he had a mate called Mark who had a big mouth. But I knew that if Greg was for me, we literally, the once confession moment, I was in a club, a fight erupted, and I literally stood in the shadow of his wings. <laughs> and no one came near me. Greg Rawlinson, Mrs. Harmsworth, do you remember? He ended up playing All Blacks rugby. He's an amazing, amazing man. And I would just stand next to Greg, and I knew I would save. But what about God? What about when we stand and God is for us? Do you know God is for you? He is for you. He is backing. He is shouting, go. Go, boyke, Go, girly. Go. And the confidence that puts in, it's the confidence that takes Elijah walking up to 450 prophets of Baal. He walks up there and says, where is your God? 450 prophets and one. He says, I'm the only one. But where is your God? He says, okay, we put the bull, we make the fire, put the bull, and dance around. It says they danced all day till lunch, and they danced all day till night, and they raved. The one translation, even use the word rave, you can imagine there's a bull, and they're all, they're around the bull, and they say, come on, fire, fire. And, and nothing happens. And he says, where is your God? And he says, okay, bring ours out. And he brings his fire out, and they chuck sand on it, and they put the bull on. He says, throw water all over it. And they throw water, I think, this oak's nuts. He says, do it again, one more round. Throw water. He says, one more round. And he says, the trench filled up around it with water. And the man of God, with the knowledge of the faithfulness of his God, that God was for him, he prays to the living God. And that thing just erupts in fire and the water and the sand. Everything gets taken because God was for him. It is not arrogance to know that God is for you. But it is arrogant to treat him like your genie who you rub his tummy and he's going to do what you think is good. It's a very fine line. We call to walk it. The question three. Is this all right? Just three questions. He who did not spare his own son, verse 32, but delivered him up for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He spares his son. This question speaks of the generosity of father, of the father. Paul's not really asking questions. He's making statements. But I'm asking questions of you today. Do you know and do you believe in the generosity and the provision of the father? Do you believe in it? That God chose not to spare his own son. Why would he spare on you now? Why would he spare? Why would he spare? A man who loves me deeply, one of my best friends, when I told him we were going to ministry and Candace and I had been on this, on this commercial track and we were choosing to choose, his first question out of love for me was, well, how are your kids going to go to private school? It was, it was a, a, a deep question. It wasn't a flippant question. It was a question out of love because of his fear. And he knows it now. We've spoken about seven or eight years later. But he spoke out of question, out of fear to me. God gave me these children. 
He gave me three boys. We tried to make girls. We couldn't do it. He chose to give us three boys. He will provide. If I'm faithful to him, if I trust him, if I know that he gave his son for me and he called, he will also provide everything we need. Everything. So when the thing that I want doesn't come, I stand in the knowledge that God is for me and nothing can move him from that position. Not one thing. Hurricanes or tornadoes cannot move my father from being for me. And we do have this challenge even in contemporary theology, that, that here's, a, here's a challenge. We were worth so much that God had to send His Son. I want to tell you, our worth doesn't even get up to the worth of His love. The cross was a measure of the worth of His love, not of how much we are worth. His love is worth way more. He is not trying to build His love up to get to a point. Oh, I can just get enough love. Oh, there I can love them. And He's just on the edge. He's just on the limit. He's like a maxed out Something. And you know that thing? Something. Dungus. A maxed out dungus. And, and, and the maxed out dungus is on the edge. But God is not on the edge. His edge is here. And his love quotient is way bigger than we could demand. You are worth a lot to him. I'm not preaching against it. I'm just saying we make it all about us sometimes. Not about us. It's about him. It's about the fact that he is so full of love that not only did he create us, not only did he allow us as a human race to go wayward, but he kept pouring out to call us back. That's the measure of the cross. And Easter's a time to reconsider where we've placed our trust. Where and who is the source of our provision? It's a massive challenge for us in a world of materialism, in a world where money does matter. It's quite a thing. And then I'm going to throw the next two questions together. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And who then is the one who condemns? And he takes us from this thing of speaking about the love of God into a courtroom where there is a judge, there is a prosecutor, and there's a defender. And before the cross and at the moment, the challenges we struggle with this image. You know who Jesus is? He's both judge and defender. And he came the first time to pay the sacrifice that he no longer is judge of those he has called out, of those who have received the blood. And the world is enamored by courtroom scenes. You've just seen the whole Oscar thing is, it's like people are devastated, don't know what to do at this time because they've taken two weeks out of court. How can court close down? We are so enamored by the legal system. We're so enamored by the law and everyone's got a position and everyone's got a statement. Because actually behind the scenes, we're in that court case. And we know we deserve judgment. But Jesus, but the cross. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. See, there will come a day of judgment. We don't like speaking about it. It is awkward. It is hard. But it's part of the gospel. That there is a time when Jesus will come back and judge. On this earth, he will judge. And those who have been washed by his blood, those who have received his blood, will not receive judgment. They will receive love and grace. But what do we do with the rest of it? It's got to shake us and shape us. It's got to call us to more. It's got to say, he is alive. 
today he's alive, and on Tuesday he's alive, and on Thursday when my kid wakes up at four in the morning and vomits all over me, he's still alive. Because that happens. It's disgusting. But he's still alive. (laughs) I don't know why I told you that. So these two questions, who will bring any charge? You see, the one who brought the charge is the very same one who died for you to be set free of the charge. And he sits with you in that defendant box, and he defends you because the Bible says he is is interceding on our behalf. You don't even know it, but there are people here sometimes praying in that room, sometimes here. They are interceding for the breakthrough of God, the revelation of God in your life here. But Jesus is in heaven next to the Father, and he's crying out for you. That's what the Bible says, crying out for you. So I have confidence in him. This is not arrogance in me. It is confidence in him. The gospel, this gospel calls us. And then the last question, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, 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 famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And it's an easy answer. Nothing. And it's easy to preach and it's easy to say. And I could get you all to stand up and shout, nothing. But it's got to be so deep, deep down inside. That when the storms come, because they will come. When the challenge comes, because they will come. You see, suffering means God can work out all things for the good of those. Sometimes the greatest victory is in suffering of the believer. And trust me, I'm not one to pray that you would suffer well for Jesus. I'll pray for healing and I'll keep praying for healing. But I know that God will work all things for the good of those who trust Him. And so suffering can come and challenge can come. And it's all these things that can come. But in all these things, He overwhelmingly speaks this word, this word, conqueror. So on Easter Sunday, I want to tell you, you're a conqueror. I heard this man tell his testimony two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago, one week, two weeks. 30 years of drugs. Vicanol in the 80s, you say, I don't even know what Vicanol is. But, and heroin through the late 90s, through the early part of this year. He is a conqueror. If you only asked him, I would, inc- I would challenge you to go and ask what God is doing in his life. How God is providing. Because he's a conqueror. And it's this great paradox that God is loving. How can, he go through, uh, how can we go through challenge? How can we know? Because winning is God's prerogative. It's, he determines. And the problem is we struggle with that. And then it ends with this incredible statement. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced. You see, conquering comes because we are convinced. What are you convinced of? Because when you're convinced of something, nothing can come and take that away. When you are convinced, I'm convinced that Jesus is alive. Convinced. It says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nothing that can happen today and nothing that can happen tomorrow, nothing that can happen in the angelic realm, nothing Yeah, but Mark, we got to come. We got to beat the demons. No, we don't. The victory is won when Jesus said it is finished. We just need to come in line with the victory and walk in that freedom. 
nor any powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. And love that has become such a cheap commodity in this world. I love my McDonald's burger. Really? You know what's in it? Anyway, that's another preach. And... Um, and I, I love my car, and I love this, and we use the word so, word so liberally, liberally. This is not how the Father uses the word in this Bible. This is, behind this love is a willingness to send a son to die a gruesome death for love. And it has to be the greatest comfort, and it has to be the greatest power, that God is in control. He's in control. You know that? He's in control. I don't know what's going on in your life, sir or ma'am, I know God is in control. Seek Him. And I know this thing, that the basis for our salvation and our security is found in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's where it's found. So we have moments like this to remember. Moments to come back to that place on our knees. But when we get up off our knees, we have to rise tall, sir or ma'am. Doesn't matter What you did 12 years ago, 13 years ago, 30 years ago, what matters is how you get up off your knees. What matters is that you get up off your knees and you take the truth and you put it so deep down inside, doesn't matter what blows, everything can be taken from you, even the clothes off your back, even the skin off your bones. But Jesus is alive. I want to call you to that kind of Christianity today. And I use silly analogies like Facebook and all that. But I want to call you to a Christianity that we will stand, we will hold to because He is alive. And that our insecurities and our brokenness gets dealt with because the blood that was spilt is completely sufficient to bring healing and wholeness. Completely. Completely. Easter means victory, but Easter means victory living Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, every day. And we're not the guys who get, oh, it's month end and precious, so we get ratty with our staff and all that. I'm calling you to be higher than that. To rise above it. Because I believe the gospel calls you to that. Easter is a day of victory. And it was victory on the cross, and it's victory for you and me. In your marriage, your life, and every day. Victory in Jesus. Amen. Can I pray for you? I know I keep saying it and I'm going to keep saying it. We will preach strong from this pulpit because we absolutely love you. We love you. And He loves you. And maybe some days you and I will have a box. So maybe I won't like you so much on the day, but I promise you I love you. That's the gospel commitment. Maybe you don't even like me now because of something I said. That's okay. But love me. You have to. (laughs) Jesus, we're just so humbled by this truth. And we take this moment to remember, God. We remember. We remember that moment. We remember that perfect act of grace. We remember that sacrifice today, God. And I pray, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray, enable us to be a people who remember, who ongoingly remember 
the right things, God. Not the shame, not the stench. The enemy would have us smell like Gabe spoke about, God. Where we try to put on other fragrances to mask it. We remember the finished, perfect work of the cross of Jesus Christ. We remember every lash. We remember the crown. We remember the sacrifice. And we say thank you this morning, God. And I pray that thank you would look like a response in life. It would look like fathers loving their families. It would look like people bringing relationships into right order. It would look like finances being above board. It would look like victorious living, God. Not just victorious mantras of the church that we proclaim, but victorious living of lives that proclaim a much deeper, much more victorious truth. So we worship you today, and we say you are glorious, King. We remember you today, Jesus. We remember your love, Father. And we remember the day the Spirit was given to us to live this victorious life. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have an amazing week in victory. There's no service tonight, but we'll see you next week. We do love you. We realize we, we might have been short on a couple of top glasses. We need a few more communion glasses for growth, which is a good thing. Bless you.